0: Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 25 of the podcast, the topic is the future of enterprise blockchain. The guest is Toby Lewis, CEO and founder of Novum Insights, the frontier tech monitoring company. We talk about the financial services industry in London right now, the influx of fintech, and specifically about enterprise blockchain and its impact on corporations and on the investment banks that serve them. Toby, how are you doing today? Really well, Tron. Great to be on your show. Fantastic, Toby. So I uh, thought that we would start by... uh, Bringing people a little bit up to speed on what you've been doing. So I I know that you've had some time at the global corporate venturing, and you've done a lot of different things in your career. Right now, you are with Novum Insights, which is a company you founded. Before that, I know you studied philosophy and and a few other things. Why why don't you give us a a little sense of uh, you know at least what is the most important thing that you think you you've done in your career and what set you up for for where you are today and what you care about now?
1: Yeah, um, Trond, we actually met through Global Corporate Venturing, and I do think that was a very impactful group to help set up, right? So so there from very early on and had some great colleagues and just a great idea, really, um, in terms of um, we set out, my colleague, Jim Morsi, you also know, came up with this concept of let's track everything that large corporates were investing in startups, and I think the business is is still still a relatively small business in some ways, but I think it was very impactful um, to help grow from last numbers they had sort of six hundred or so corporate customers from memory, maybe more now, but they they really helping that journey was was a lot of fun really from like we were free free people largely at the beginning and it was a really fun ride trying to deeply understand i was largely on the sort of analyst tracking side of that business looking at exactly what the strategies were of a Tencent or an Intel when it came to venture investing. Can you give us uh, actually a quick uh, little overview?
0: Because uh, like you pointed out, the little outfit, global corporate mentoring, has had an outsized impact both in terms of communicating what global co- corporate venturing is today and teaching individuals who are entering that business about that and, and perhaps also communicating it be, uh, beyond the industry. But give us a little sense of what what is this animal corporate venturing first, and then we'll m- move into fintech and stuff uh, in a second.
1: Yeah, no, no. So I, I think it's an absolutely fascinating field, right? So, so the, and, and I think the nice thing about GCV is I think we, we helped bring some best practices and some a, a much bigger overview of everything that, that was going in on it, which I think is the impact they made. And I think it's been really beneficial for that industry. But corporate VC is essentially the major activity of corporate vc is large corporates investing in startups and and taking typically a minority stake and and trying to do the activity of a similar to a sort of sand hill road vc typically a partnership but under the guise of a corporation and there are many and it's a very complex exercise to pull off well because unlike a small partnership you've got a corporation with thousands of people that it's meant to be serving as a uh, um providing a toe in the sort of fast growth fast growing company landscape effectively for those groups
0: Hmm. I wanted to bring up one more thing from your background. We talked about philosophy for one second. You said you were a philosophy student and and you told me it has shaped your outlook on life. I want you to expand on that just because, you know, in the UK, that's a statement that some people might make. Um, what? But what does that mean? And And how does that even happen that you then start out thinking philosophy has shaped your outlook on life, yet you are... Obviously you've had a career in kind of news financial news analytics and and venturing. So how does that work?
1: Yeah. So well I think it it's it's a great discipline um philosophy just because it really is just asking questions and um really attempting to sort of Deploy rigorous thinking towards any subject matter. Really, is what I'd say it, it, it teaches you. So I was always relatively on the sort of mathematical, logical side of that, but also very interested in just any any element of why or how we live. Right. So it's 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 like the Greek philosophers and any of the the sort of great thinkers in philosophy from sort of Wittgenstein to Kant uh, I mean it's it's a very interesting discipline because it's all about who we are what we do and and so then you can begin going as you go on the path of a career that makes sense and and you you actually picked this up before you sort of did the interview you were kind of fascinated about the fact that I'd studied philosophy, which I think is, like you say, probably quite an English discipline. It's like everyone sort of picks whatever they feel like and then go about figuring out how to make money a bit later, which I think is a great thing about the English system, educationally and work-wise, because you get a very rounded, different group of thinking coming to the table. But I think... In in today's day and age, maybe maybe it would have been sensible of me, like to be a Trond. I believe you were a computer scientist by background initially. So so actually, I'm not. I'm not. I, I also have a large background, uh,
0: but it's. I just I, I find it fascinating because I, I'm getting more yeah. and more interested in this question of you know what is it that's going to prepare us for the future as a species and uh, and as individuals and you know what kind of background because mm-hmm. actually. It's not the case that everyone is going to be able to afford four or eight or 12, in my case, years of education in order to prepare you for whatever you think you want to be doing. But on the other hand, these kinds of broad perspectives and a set of deep perspectives, that's more than one, is actually, I think, fundamental. But... Uh, it makes a lot more sense to me now when you point out that, of course, it was the analytical philosophy and the logic part that fascinated you the most, yet philosophy with all of its broad questions has also been universally helpful. So I just thought it's just interesting for me as a as a context.
1: Now, yeah, and and actually on that, um, when I, I actually did a master's in philosophy as well and went to a great faculty that had a huge sort of cognitive science then. And there was the first, my first real exposure to like people doing AI technology and that kind of thing to almost model human consciousness. And that kind of thing was totally mind blowing, actually. So I was really excited after a stint at the Wall Street Journal when Jim, who was also working at Dow Jones Wall Street Journal with me, um, basically decided to get deeper into tracking the venture world. And then it it sort of it it almost brought me full circle in in a way because there were a lot of very similar like the way I see the venture and startup world is very and just is a very sort of business creative idea space where it's it's a very similar mindset to do well in. You just need to be quite open-minded, quite thoughtful and being thinking about what what a lot of the tech trends and business trends that are going on, what they mean for how um, users are going to develop and what's going to be interesting to really take things forward?
0: that's that's fascinating. definitely, cognitive science and and all of its. Siblings, you know, is very much a part of of this uh, uh, venture here with with the podcast as well. So bringing us a little bit into fintech and and the financial services industry. I know that your office and activity really is in London, but you told me when we spoke earlier that you actually got out of London pretty early. What's Be my eyes and ears on on the UK right now. I mean, where are you? Are you still uh, down in Kent? What, what's happening? How is the city and city, as in the financial district, dealing with COVID? What's been going on over the fa- past few months? And is there any sense of a opening of uh, the financial services industry in terms of people being
1: physically back or you know how how do you see this? Um I think I think people at the moment, the offices are beginning to open up, right? So I, I've decided, just because I, I don't see this thing going away for a year or two, that um, it's quite nice living in Kent. And I think I think actually like the whole fabric of like the where where people live in western society that's going to change right and i think there is going to be a bit of a pull away from cities um so the yeah i'm i'm staying in kent for the long term but it's an hour train ride from london so in in a sort of silicon valley context you could be easily living in palo alto and working in san francisco or whatever it's pretty much the same thing so the but it's obviously but i would say that the uk because i think we did we didn't have the most stringent lockdown and actually covid was pretty bad here but the lockdown was cautious enough that i think that other than certain selected pockets that it's not that widespread um, that you you can't go to meet people outside, office spaces are gradually opening up, but all taking a lot of precautions. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are going, well, maybe I do two days a week in London, three days a week here or, or less. Um, if you can get away with everything on Zoom, why not? Right.
0: Yeah, just to point out to my listeners, this is being recorded on the 6th of uh, August 2020. So that's the timestamp for when we're talking about this. Let's move into the heart of the matter that we had agreed to talk about. So you, y- your company, Novum Insights, has been issuing and working on this report on on blockchain. And uh, trends in the in the fintech industry. In any case, give us a little sense of the of the new study that you're coming out with. What what is it that you set out to discover? What are some of the findings? Well, you know, what's the hot yeah. um, topic right
1: now? Yeah, we've been going for about four years now, and looking at at doing. Sort of, we've got various different sort of Python crawlers going out, mapping a whole bunch of um, frontier technology companies. So we look at blockchain, AI, fintech, and then we're expanding into the circular economy and green tech, which is about a hundred thousand companies. We 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 use um, machine learning as well to map um, news sources and trends and 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 tracking around them. What we found out from users is. Really there's a specific different groups of people who need to know very specific different things They're typically about what their their competitor group are doing. So I'd say one of the major constituents for adoption in blockchain will be the investment banking industry. So we're publishing this blockchain in investment banking. Analysis that, that, that when your show comes out will, will, will be ready and available. And, um, effectively, we looked at the different levels of adoption of, of every single major bank, what, what kind of, um, softwares, what kind of groups they're using. And, and I think that the, the big picture in this is, is all of these groups are looking at how they monitor. The transactions that they're making keep keep hold of the the data flows. But as ever with this kind of level of financial innovation, there are some that are fully embracing it, and some that are um, are, are pulling back. And it's been a very um, regulatory challenged area just because of the um, the cryptocurrency space, which I think has been very, very controversial. Um, I find it very exciting and interesting, but there's a lot of noise and complexity. But there's also a whole area around enterprise blockchain that is where a lot of the banks have been spending their time adopting. And we're looking in this report and monitoring that effectively. So I
0: think blockchain is a fascinating technology, a fascinating space. Uh, you seem to, in this report, be focusing on corporate use cases, but specifically aimed at trying to understand how a specific actor in that industry, the investment banks, are are going to react to this and, and what they should, should be doing about it. Is this report, by the way, going to be public? What's the business model around the report?
1: So, some of the findings of the report will be will be public. I think the um, it's purchasable. We're, we're currently deploying a whole host of graphics and things, but I think there will be there will be a tiered layer of the the major report that will be for purchase because the idea is really, a, we know there's quite a big demand within the investment banks. To understand what that competitive landscape is, because a lot of them are, are trying to piece together a strategy. And some of them are, for instance, there's there's been adoption of um, the trade finance technology We Trade uh, developed by IBM. That's been relatively widespread. Others are obviously our free quarter. There's certain technologies that the groups are using that, that are beginning to gain traction but there's there's tens to 20 solutions that are popping up in all the different banks and people are wanting to get a bit of a a bit of a unified picture as to as to what they're doing pack this for us toby because
0: i mean first of all in the report do you take for granted that people know what the basics of blockchain uh, are or do you actually start from scratch considering that you're actually trying to bring in new actors in the financial space to to discover the opportunities and then you know if you could speak to some of these specific solutions yeah. that you have looked at w- within that you know what are the main distinctions now in enterprise yeah. blockchain what are we really talking about
1: Yeah so um the 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 basic idea of of blockchain, and I guess probably the easiest thing is to start with a definition, right? Which which will be in the report, but it's a um, it's it's a consensus mechanism um, for the sharing of information between independent parties that is immutable, effectively. So allowing um, so immutability being um, data that is that is stored permanently in a particular place and it's untemperable. Why that's particularly exciting in space um, like banking is, of course, bank, banks are effectively intermediaries, right? So they're looking to control the flow of information and these data sets are designed to be just the data that can be shared by anyone in the cloud with, with no sort of um, one party looking, looking over it, right? Um, and so the, the difference between an um, enterprise blockchain is typically those, um, those blockchains are closed, so they can only have specific parties that are allowed to sort of play in that realm allowed into it whereas the probably the the blockchains the cryptocurrencies that get a lot more attention and and actually sometimes are being used by these enterprises as well in in their tech stacks are the public blockchains and the reason why a lot of the enterprise sector is gravitating towards the The sort of private area is there is a there is an, there is a closed safe space where they can share this information, but it's still pretty radical because the 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 information layer itself is is put together by put together in in a, in a code-based way, and different people different organizations are finding different use cases for that basically. What are
0: the specific brands that are leaders and perhaps even laggards in this space? Um, I'm just uh, thinking back to m- my own expert network Yegi published a-, a report on Bitcoin's impact on banks back in 2014 and way back then and and you know one of our conclusions was the whole point is to understand the blockchain but uh, that's already now 6 years ago and there weren't that many examples although we we did find some in your report now, <clears throat> so just charting six years later, you have many, many companies. I believe you have a hundred top corporations that you have mentioned have some form of lo- blockchain experimentation. Can you give us a sense of within those hundred top corporations? I believe from Walmart to uh, to Mersk, what is the level of experimentation? How deep do they go with blockchain? You know, and 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 how shallow can that exposure be in order to still learn and track and and make use of it?
1: Yeah. So, so a lot of these, these companies are, um, and, and yeah, so there's a, there's a broader sort of enterprise blockchain piece that we're looking at, um, on, on all the different sort of major corporate players and Walmart and Mesk are particularly good example, um, in that they've got tens of people at each, um, company all specifically working on this. And, and typically they're, they're working with, um, some of the larger vendors in this space, so the, um, the, the probably the best known are IBM's Hyperledger or Hyperledger Fabric, where, where IBM is one of the the bigger constituents in that. Um, then there's R3 Corda, um, which got actually funded by a lot of the major investment banks uh, and the the different groups. So, for example, Mesk. Um, that they set out in the originally but they set out in the shipping industry to really so the the mask set out to uh, um, create a collaborative framework within shipping uh, they they were using the ipm hyperledger technology and that that project actually went through Numerous iterations that it ran into headwinds because it was a classic problem of you, like you say, understanding the blockchain and how that that might work. And uh, originally, when Merc created it, they wanted to own all the intellectual property associated with the blockchain, and then found they couldn't get adoption within shipping without beginning to go treating that group a bit more like a consortium where they could l- allow different of the players in the, in the industry to, to share um, some of the ownership so, so then people could onboard and begin go sharing data about, about the shipping transactions and, and um, how, how that would be split up. At, at, so it's, it's been a very evolving space. But but the um, the the key use case for a lot of these things, obviously, in shipping, keeping track of, of of goods where they're moving to, what they're doing. Similarly, in 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 a big logistical supply chain company like Walmart, one of the really really major use cases is going where do you, how do you check the provenance of a good, where it's come from, where it ends up what ends up happening to it so that's been quite a fruitful field and and it will uh, or is already leading to interesting um things linked to supply chain finance because if then you can go well this good has been received into our system and we know it's going to take a month to get from india to china or wherever you can you can then go well the vendor can be paid in advance because we've now got it logged and, and there's, a, there's a methodology behind that.
0: When you unpack uh, the potential of blockchain, this, uh, this um, podcast is about kind of the future um, operationalized a little bit as kind of the next decade, just because that's a kind of an interesting business context when you look, look at the future. If you're looking <clears throat> almost 10 years ahead and we're, we're to kind of chart where you think this is going to go... Where are we now? So we have kind of been through this that I wrote about this six years ago. They were experimenting. Now you are charting this as a more massive trend. It's embedded in many corporations. They are really experimenting with it in, in not just in the financial industry, but it gets applied across industries, which of course makes it a lot more relevant to investment banks because they don't only have to think about it for implementing in their own industry, But it's relevant for the companies that they engage with and their, their clients and how they, um, you know, engage with the broader business ecosystem. Where is this going? What are kind of the barriers to adoption as you look at enterprise and, and the way that the the blockchain perhaps gradually starts to become a true infrastructure platform that all companies are dipping into? But how long is this going to take and what are kind of the adoption barriers that you see based on the report that you're issuing?
1: Yeah, I think the, the big adoption barrier is, is getting the, the technologies ready that everyone can be comfortable that they will, that, that it will work at a scale. That can replace their existing infrastructures. And I think that's a, it's probably more, it's, it's probably not right now. So a lot of the work seems to still be fairly proof of concept, although the scale of the ambitions of what's being laid out, like, like, um, I'd say that the, um, what Walmart is doing, for instance, like that supply chain is absolutely enormous. It's very, it's very much getting in that sort of production-ready state. But I think that over the next two to five years, you're going to really see a ramping up as as some of the issues around using the technology just make it a better form of collaboration than ding database technologies. Or, or once it becomes that the, the, the really compelling use cases are um, trotting out their numbers, the efficiencies that they've um, they've created the wastage that they they get rid of um I think that's the the big the big thing for all that wider where every single member of the fortune 1000 will suddenly we've successfully implemented this particular solution and but probably one of the signs of success is is that people will actually be talking less about blockchain because it will just fade into the background and it will be just something that things run in um, and um, a bit like very few people nowadays talk about oh, I'm using the internet is running on TCP IP they'll, they'll be using I'm using a particular solution um, that 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 is that is helpful for me. Kind of thing. So that's that's very interesting. A lot
0: of observers have, have pointed this out to me that the success of a technology is when actually people stop talking about it. <laughs> Struggling to crack the code on innovation? Don't look too hard. Buy the book. Disruption Games' How to Thrive on Serial Failure by Trond Unheim was published by Atmosphere Press in 2020. Common Wisdom says that success breeds success. However, what if only repeated failure does? The author has followed thousands of founders and startups at MIT and beyond as they struggle, pivot, fail, or succeed. The secret? Training as if for the Olympics with the top mentors, being in the right places, and and deeply examining what you learn along the way. The biosphere of innovation cannot be a template. Between R&D, innovation labs, partnerships, startup scouting, corporate venturing, accelerators, or open innovation, you never know where the breakthrough starts. Thriving on failure is the way of science. In four moves, get exposed to disruption, take or simulate risk, persist until point of failure, reflect and recover. Buy the book anywhere books are sold and learn more at disruptiongames.com. You're a numbers guy, Toby. Tell me a little bit about how you define the numbers in this emerging uh, fintech space overall and what's blockchain and and even Bitcoin and currencies part of the overall kind of financial markets now and and how is it evolving and growing, especially maybe on the enterprise blockchain side?
1: Yeah, in each year in sort of 2019 and 2018, there were roughly... Especially in 2018, there probably more than 10 billion dollars was invested into the sort of wider blockchain projects, um, and um, there was a degree to which a lot of that traction wasn't coming from the enterprise side. So it was much more um, in the sort of one to two billion on the enterprise blockchain area, but oh, and then there was a. There was a huge sort of mushrooming of investment in, into cryptos. There is some overlap there because, because some of those base layer um, companies that were being invested in um, were are, are still e- things that you can implement a particular solution on over time. But there was a, there's been a lot of investment within blockchain into building the building blocks. At the same time, Um, You're seeing um, billions of dollars go into the sort of wider fintech companies. I mean, you've seen sort of recent, Revolut did a recent $80 round. A lot of these sort of challenger banks and the like are are getting significant funding, the sort of lending groups, various, um, I mean, I think it's been both wider fintech and blockchain have been very hot areas. The enterprise blockchain. Once the once the companies got funded by their various different consortiums, you can't quite measure it by a level of investment. You can instead see sort of the the um, the constituent part, who's doing what, build a picture of the relationships, and that's kind of where we've been looking Tell at. Toby, that's sort of actually notes. going to
0: be my next question because what's yeah. the transparency of this development? You know, when you're mapping startups, which we'll get to in a second, which is interesting in and of itself, you can map investment from VC and even corporates, obviously, if you have access to those numbers. And, and typically you kind of do because they're part of public disclosures. When it comes to experiments on blockchain, to what extent do you find that companies even disclose the extent to which they are experimenting and where do you find out about that?
1: Yeah, so it's it's very much, and this is a challenge, um, and it's partly, I guess, that's always been where um, my niche, I guess, over the last 10 years, and that was very much what we did at GCV, it's beginning to go, this is a fairly opaque space, but there are data points you can map, there are public sources that are coming out. How do we think about clever ways to collate those, and then effectively, the way we've always looked at information sharing is there is the more pieces the puzzle that you can build up and put out there to share, the more feedback you generate and then our view is essentially just be very persistent and very clear, and I think the the way we're we're building this jigsaw of the enterprise blockchain layer at the moment, I think will be exciting to a lot of different people because the, the, um it's, it's it's really interesting. I told one of the banks in our report, I shared some of the early findings with him. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize we were involved in that. So the, the nature of these corporations is actually... That's fascinating.
0: The- so it's a little bit of a trade, actually. You, you know, You yeah. start digging into it as an analyst firm and platform, and then you share a little, and then they give a little. So that's how now I understand what you mean by this sort of becoming a specialized focus. You actually have to dig into it in order to surface the information that then will yield the next big uh, bit of information.
1: And that that, that's been, I guess, the niche. Um, I've always liked a green field area of information, and so um, and I thought it was very fruitful when we were at GCV. We basically. By doing that, for years, I think people thought we were mad because it wasn't very clear there was a business model. Um, And I think now, if you look back on it, just systematically mapping particular areas and going, here's what you need to know, um, you get a very virtuous feedback because you basically get people. So we've already got a number of large corporate subscribers that know them, but we're anticipating the 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 virtuous loop of these reports is effectively going, well, you've uncovered and systematized all of this, so why, um, but you need to know this, and we need to try and get as much of an understanding about this variable. And the great thing about blockchains is inherently they do have data. I mean, the private blockchains are data which you can manage more more carefully, right? That's why they're being developed like that. They are. But at the end of the day, people want, want to report accurately on what they're doing, and then they will want benchmarking and those kinds of things in what they're doing as well.
0: Perfect. Let's move to startups for a second. Uh, I know that you are now focused on enterprise blockchain. So perhaps if you would want to give me some startups that are servicing that market that you are finding to be particularly promising and important to look out for that might be the starting point but then also overall in the overall blockchain space and this could be public blockchains what are some of the projects that you are tracking intensely and intently now and think will reshape this arena even just in the next few years
1: yeah yeah so the i think um there's been a number of um startups that, that have made waves um that have got really interesting from those that are quite late stage. So so there's a uh, business called Everledger. Um it raised 20 million from Tencent um relatively recently. It's it's it worked initially on the diamond trade. Um it's believed that having essentially for blood diamonds um, it's it's something quite important in that industry obviously to ensure that something that has entered your system is verified not to have been something where um, human rights abuses and and sort of bad things have happened to get them out of the ground. Um, the the at the same time they they've now expanded that to Work with the company Tencent that does China's largest social network. The um, and the thinking is a bit like Facebook's Libra. There could be um, a new iteration of the payment channels there, and 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 I think it's still greenfield, but that's pretty exciting. I mean, the 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 list goes on. Like I said.
0: Toby, before you move away, what is your thinking on Libra, on the Facebook project, or, uh, well, arguably not the Facebook project as they claim?
1: Um, So, I mean, it's a fascinating um, group. So, yeah, obviously, sort of Facebook has built an arm's length association around it and and tried to um, distance themselves a bit just to, just to for the exact reasons we were talking about MERSC earlier, is that um building of a consortium to get people onto a trusted reason as well as um the regulatory issues that they faced. And even Donald Trump weighed into that as he likes to seem to do on business a bit. Um but the the um um the um yeah, what what it's I think as ever with these initiatives. It's fantastic that um, um, a big group wants to go out there and really shake things up. I think that if you look at payments on Facebook, many of your viewers have been to China. Um, There, you've got a relatively sophisticated and seamless interface with um, Alipay and WePay and and these kind of things. So in some ways, the West, because of regulation, has tried to segregate and make that more difficult. I think Facebook with Libra has really really challenged the establishment um, in in their country and around the world. Um, It's going to be a very interesting watch. I think it's hard to... Bet against a tech giant. I just think that their the major problem with Facebook is their brand took such a hit around the Cambridge Analytica scandal that people are going. Well, firstly, you're taking data, and now you want financial transactions. And given that you weren't a great custodian of people's data, why should they be trusted? So I think there's a there's a degree of people not wanting to give Facebook that benefit of the doubt. But I think longer term. They're gonna try and build the bridges to surmount that and a lot of very smart people are working on that project um, that we've dealt with. So. cool a- any other uh, sort of
0: smaller startups than Facebook which is uh, big tech at this point uh, working on on these problems that you'd like to highlight
1: yeah yeah no 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 a hundred percent I mean there's there's very um, there's very much there's a there's, there's a lot of little businesses that are figuring out, for instance, um, a um, a group that I know fairly well called Herfera, Um is more... They've been doing a lot of the building blocks, so they got very involved in the architecture of various different companies like Hyperledger Fabric. Um, and building the layers of, of some, some great sort of infrastructure plays to be sold into the corporation. What they've done on a, they built an open source data sharing tool that I think is really cool um, with a company called MePassa, which has been a spin out of theirs. Um, and they they are effectively doing data sharing of allowing cross-collaboration in all the different universities and research institutes on um, COVID-19 data and then finding cool ways to store that and share that. And they get people at Stanford, MIT, UCL, um, some Israeli universities, I think, collaborating on these challenges as well as IBM and um, a whole group of others. So they built a really nice... Uh, clean blockchain architecture that people sort of researchers are tackling one of the world's biggest problems on. Um and they've they've spun it up and they're they're still very much a scrappy group of Israeli programmers. So there's there's okay. any number of small, interesting actors. Um and there's there's very, very cool advances in cryptography. Um a good friend is doing something with um, actually the Ethereum Foundation. So this is more like the startup blockchain, uh, and has been um, they um, been doing very very well. Championed by Vitalik Buterin, who's the founder of Ethereum, and that's been really interesting because they've been trying to crack. I don't know if you know much about the zero knowledge proofs, but they've been cracking how you can share information in a private way. Um, in, in, and, and seem to be making uh, enough progress that, that sort of they're getting a lot of public statements from Ethereum. Just that for the they- benefit
0: of, of people who yeah. may not be into a zero-knowledge proof, what does that mean? What is that term?
1: So A zero-knowledge proof is a way for um, different actors in a data transaction to share that information in a way that neither would know who the other constituent is, so it allows the information to effectively pass through a, um, um, a black hole where there's zero knowledge of who the constituents are. The information is hidden to the outside world as well, and and the transaction is made. So it's a very it's very much the frontiers of cryptography, and I think it was the um, it was a major issue that happened. W- in the sort of evolution of these public blockchains is that basically the founder of this one, Aztec Protocol, was essentially trying to create a transaction platform to allow sort of banks to make transactions and loans using a blockchain backend. And he realized that if people knew who the other actors were and that was becoming obvious in a public space, that would be terrible um, because people could do trades and funny things against them. So um, I think it's really, really exciting. It's going to get quite controversial as well, because when you're talking about hiding financial transactions in ways that can't be seen by people, you can imagine the reaction of a regulator going, well, there's this thing and it's impossible to monitor and it's happening. Um, well, I, well, on that for, for a
0: second, I think yeah. regulators also have misunderstood a little bit because there's yeah. actually a lot of things you can monitor better, right? So arguably yeah, yeah. blockchain is both it is this yeah, yeah. immense transparency combined with some amount of secrecy uh, which uh, you know the the founders of the protocols would argue that's essential uh, but of course that is worrying some regulators how do you see this argument on transparency of blockchains playing out Do they need to be tweaks for various government? And does it depend? I mean, is the EU more comfortable with blockchains, uh, than the US? Um, the China seems to just, uh, somehow accept that that, you know, is there. But, but obviously, you know, China has, has gonna have their very strong, uh, arm around this no matter how this happens arguably though you know this is a kind of technology that cannot be controlled in that same way but 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 of course regulators can set frameworks around which these technologies must operate how do you see the transparency argument in blockchain playing out in the years ahead in governments
1: yeah it's gonna be really fascinating how it plays out and right? so the the uh, the dynamics are uh, I think the regulators I think you're you're completely right. China in many ways has been um, fairly open door. Um, they do shift. They sometimes sort of ban various things. and well, They down do and, both,
0: don't they? They play yeah. kind of, we're open for innovation and then they kind of crack yeah. down on the other side.
1: Yeah, but I think that's just the way how you govern in China, right? They just go, look, oh. enough's enough. Um, and But they do, I think they are very much doubling down and I, I do think it is a cause of the concern generally that, that the chinese are so sort of allow a bit of an innovation free-for-all and then know how to govern inside their country in a very authoritarian way so they can they can sort of play play things that way um, the europeans i think uh, again i think mean, europe can be quite proud it's typically um a middle way between those different sort of things. Um, and I would say like the U.S. regulator on there's so many different regulatory bodies. Um, I don't think anyone, you're not going to get many champions other than Luddites for the way some of the. American regulators behave because I think they really... Well, isn't that
0: like- interesting, Toby? You're talking about the world's biggest economy, at least pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, there are some quibbles to be had about that yeah. post-COVID, I think, you know, whenever that's going to emerge. But but isn't that a big problem that arguably the biggest thing that's happened to finance and and as we have just talked about over uh, a few minutes here, it's maybe one of the biggest things to happen to the overall economy that the US is not a leader in this area. and And really has very little chance of being so without changing very fundamental ways about how they how they govern must be a problem i mean not just for for looking at the blockchain industry but basically it must be a problem for them
1: yeah i think I think it's very much uh, there's generally um yeah i think i think it is it is the major concern is is that the that there is a there's been a stifling in the u s for about um, at least the last 10 years over gradual uh, gradual period in and it's pretty extraordinary as like the the u.s venture capital and tech ecosystem has been second to none and I think that the the missing the beat in blockchain like they missed in other industries like the solar industry or various sure. different areas where um, they've suddenly been outcompeted by China, and partly state-wise, I think it was very much just the state being doubling down on the solar industry 10, 15 years ago. And I think you can see the analogy with blockchain, is China has really, really been providing an open, free-for-all, experimental lab. And I think they're doing the same in AI as well. Um that, yeah, that that will have repercussions, I think, over a 10, 15, 20-year time horizon Sure, I
0: mean, you can't lose. L- let's just say, uh, let's just imagine that the green economy plus AI plus blockchain is going to be a pretty major chunk of, uh, you know, of the Nasdaq of the future. Let's imagine a global Nasdaq, uh, right? And if the US is not dominating there, you're kind of putting yourself... Out of play in in the three major technologies that are reshaping the future. Not not that they're completely doing so, but but there are, like you pointed out, there are some pretty serious regulatory constraints due to the way the system currently operates, and it's not a short-term thing. It's it's happened gradually and over a decade, really. Mm. No, a hundred percent. So last thing for, for you, Toby, how to track all of this, because these are very complicated things. We're talking about reshaping the finance industry. We're talking about reshaping the overall economy. We're talking about regulatory issues. I know that Novum Insights is clearly where you want people to go. And I will link that up because you are uh, doing really good work on blockchain information from the major players. What are some of the other sources that you go to uh, even on a day-to-day or when you look at this from a long-term perspective? What are the newsletters? Who are the influencers? We talked about some of the companies, but what are some of the sources you find the most useful in charting fintech, blockchain, Mm -hmm. and the rest of it?
1: Yeah, no, no. no. So on fintech, I think the Financial Times does a great newsletter um, called Sifted. Um, so, so I really like that for wider fintech. Um, they do chip in a bit on blockchain. Um, blockchain is that a free newsletter? They they let yeah, people read free, that. Yeah. Free from the Financial Times. Um, it's a sort of spinoff from them. Fantastic. Um, they've really made a lot of headway. Um, there's also a consultancy that's doing a lot of video and podcast content called 11FS, um, who are very, um, good on the fintechs theme. And they also do like a podcast called blockchain insider. They're very good. Um, there's any number like the, the blockchain kind of sphere is just a, I mean, it's it's a phenomenal sort. You could spend all day reading different bloggers and newsletters and things. Um, I think some of the information has got slightly corrupted, but I think people have gone to a stance of beginning to reshape that. So the... What do you mean um by information being corrupted, Toby? Um, Well, there was, especially in the sort of 2017-2018 period, because crypto became very much a Wild West industry, there was a lot of payment for articles where it wasn't very clear that, um, that the major outlets were allowing them to do that. And because they were new newsletters that were developing tens to hundreds of thousands of readers, like almost overnight... They just took the money and grew and there, there were a lot, I think that- So a you're lot saying of-
0: the journalistic integrity and quality of some of the stuff that they were publishing wasn't commensurate with the fact that they were having hundreds of thousands of, of sort of listeners. They had an audience, but no verification, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are those still around, those designs? Are they still online, some of these? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I couldn't go into which ones were there, but just the one caveat I would say is that a lot of those companies are still grappling with some of those trade-offs that they've made, and it's unclear. Yep if that's been wilded out. But I, what I would say is... Let's focus uh, on the
0: good ones for now, right? I mean, that's ones, better yeah, than let not caveat that, get ourselves you know, liabilities. Even
1: some of the good ones are, uh, are complex. But, um, but for example, some of the better ones are CoinDesk, uh, I, I'd say, would, has, has become very strong. At it's sort of different coverage of from the enterprise to the crypto layer Um, and there's a number of others that are decrypt is another one. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, and what is amazing is just the sort of medium blogs and wealth of information that's being freely shared and githubs are often open as well. So there's, there's a lot of people playing around and advancing things very, very quickly.
0: Got it. Well, fascinating, Toby. This has been uh, very informative, and I wish you best of luck with that report that's coming out. Hopefully, we can time this episode so the report and everything will be available. It was wonderful to speak with you, and uh, please uh, keep us up to date on what you're up to. It's a fascinating, growing space, and I think still, perhaps unfortunately, not a subject that a lot of people, I mean, I talked to, including a lot of my friends, up until very recently, it wasn't as if they really were able to explain, understand, or even see the full impact of blockchain. It's one of those things, like you pointed out, once you start looking for it, it's everywhere. Before you start looking for it, it's like, when do I have to start caring about this?
1: Yeah, really. So. Uh, very well summed up, Trant. So so looking forward to... Uh, Shelby, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day and uh,
0: thanks for being on the show. Great. Bye. Bye-bye. You had just listened to episode 25 of the Futurized podcast with host Thrun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the future of enterprise blockchain. Our guest was Toby Lewis, CEO and founder of Novum Insights, the frontier tech monitoring company. We talked about the financial services industry in London right now, the influx of fintech and specifically about enterprise blockchain and its impact on corporations and on the investment banks that serve them. My takeaway is that the financial industry which has been slow to evolve has now finally taken on board the impact and potential of blockchain as the emerging platform for the future of finance and perhaps a major platform for business as such having said that it will stay take this decade to get all the findings and move beyond experimentation for it to reach its full potential thanks for listening if you like the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.